But uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm up here visiting, although I used to live in Idlewild, if uh, you don't recognize me. So my, my girls are uh, at, a, at a church off the hill this morning, and, and uh, seminary is going well. And uh, I'm excited to be here with you, uh, and I'm thankful uh, for God's word as we open it. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, we're going to be looking most closely at verses 21 through 30, uh, but I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 18. So this is uh, John 13, 18 through 30. This is God's word. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning to worship you. We thank you that you are worthy of our worship, that nothing else compares to your glory. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which teaches us the truth, and pray that you would make our hearts soft to receive your truth this morning. May you, by your spirit, apply these truths to our hearts that we might be doers of your word and not just hearers. We thank you that by your Son you give us and offer us life. We thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise. And we pray now that your word would speak to us in this time. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This passage is not the the most happy passage you you might think. Uh, it's it's a rather a dark passage. It speaks of betrayal. And I think betrayal is something that either we have experienced in our own lives or maybe been a betrayer at some time before. Uh, I think we can, can relate to being betrayed by a friend, betrayed by a co-worker, betrayed by a spouse, betrayed by a child, betrayed by uh, somebody close to you. And Jesus, in this passage, has somebody that is close to him who will betray him. And Jesus knows this, and he acts on this. 
Our passage this morning, though a dark passage, speaks about the light. It shows us the commitment of Christ to love his disciples until the end and to shine the light over the darkness of Satan and Judas. And it challenges us, it challenges you to think about what you think of the light. I love the Gospel of John. It's a, it's a great book. If you have not read it, you certainly should. But the theme of, of light versus darkness is, is rich throughout. The book starts out with this theme, John 1.5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When speaking about John the Baptist, John writes, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. The story of Nicodemus, remember he's one of the teachers of the law. He comes to Jesus to ask him questions about who he is. And he comes to him at night because he doesn't want to be discovered that he, a Pharisee, is is interested in this Jesus that he's heard about. In John 8, we read verse 12 again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then just shortly before our passage, we read in John 11, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The theme of darkness and light is rich. And I I think this morning that when we hear and see Jesus' words towards Judas, that you you can anticipate this, this battle going on. And the question for you this morning, the question uh, to consider is, how will you react to the light? Or how have you reacted to the light? And we're going to consider this question and and, and some some answers by looking at three different uh, sections of the passage. We're going to consider Christ's disciples. We're going to consider Christ's traitor. And we're going to consider Christ's spirit. This passage is, is, is uh, I think, ironic with the disciples. We see Christ's disciples. They have, up to this point, they've been deceived by Judas. And they don't yet understand the weight of Christ's words. And, and, and the point being is that they're unable at this time to, to discern between the darkness and the light. You see, after Jesus' words in verse 22, it says, The disciples, they, they looked at one another. They were uncertain of whom he spoke. Jesus has mentioned a betrayer before and and, and even pointed fingers at Judas. But the disciples, they hear Christ's words and they look to each other and they wonder, is it me? Is it you? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? They're uncertain about that. And you think that they would be like, yep, yep, it's Judas. But But they don't. And then verse 23, it's interesting because the disciples are are placed close to Jesus um, and, and, and around the table in an interesting way. There's a disciple, one of his disciples, this is verse 23, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Now your version might say that it was, uh, he was in the bosom of Jesus. That's an idiom for explaining that he was in the, the seat of honor. So the beloved disciple, who's John, is sitting closest to Jesus. But Peter, Peter's not far off. And, and in Peter fashion... He hears Christ say something, and he, and he wonders, and he says, Hey, will you figure this out for me? And so the disciple, he leans over, and he asks Jesus, Lord, who is it? Well, it's the disciple 
that is close to Jesus, a disciple that is within arm's reach enough to where he can give him this morsel of bread that will betray him. But it's interesting, you'll notice that that it starts out with this scene, but then it gets smaller and smaller and closer and closer. Peter drops out of the picture. John drops out of the picture, and it's just Judas and Jesus. My point being is that the disciples, they were uncertain, and they really, in a way, you might say, were indifferent to what Jesus was doing and saying. If that's not convincing, look at verses 28 and 29, which says, Now, no one at the table knew why he got up and why he said this. Some of them, they thought, maybe he's going to go buy some more stuff for the feast, or maybe he's going to give money to the poor, and all of you should laugh because you know that Judas is not going to go give the money to the poor. He's going to take the money and he's going to put it in his pocket. Judas is a betrayer and and a deceiver. But the disciples at this point, they're still uncertain. Judas had had fooled his peers and they did not know it yet. And if Jesus was going to expose his betrayer at this moment, you would think you would think to yourself that the disciples, they would be more on alert that rather than John write the story where really maybe only one or two disciples knew what was going on, that everybody would perk up and lean in and be like, okay, well, tell us, Christ, who is this betrayer? Because we've got to get him out of here. But instead, something, something very different happens. Now, I think there's an explanation for this in the fact that the disciples did not yet have the spoiler alert. I'll explain what I mean. They didn't know what was going to happen at the end. They didn't know what Christ was about to go and do. They didn't know that Christ was going to fulfill all of Scripture by what was going to happen in just a few days or even in just a few hours. A few weeks ago, I got to go see the film Free Solo with my dad for his birthday. Uh, It's a rock climbing film about Alex Honnold. And uh, in this film, it it tells the story of, of Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And uh, if you don't know what El Cap is or El Capitan, it's 3,000 feet of, of, of granite rock. And if anybody is anybody in the, in the climbing world, you have to go and you have to climb El Capitan. Well, Alex Honnold, he climbed it many times, but this time he was going to climb it without any ropes, which is kind of scary. One of the, in, in one of the parts, another climber talks about it being like like Alex Honnold is going to compete in the Olympics for a gold medal, and if you don't get the gold medal, you die. And so we're sitting in this in this theater, my heart's pounding while Alex Honnold is climbing this 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 rock. He's two thousand feet up. You get to this place where it's like the the crux, the most difficult part of the climb, and and they they have built this moment up into the film, and you're just your heart's beating, your heart's beating. And I, I'm telling myself, I know that Alex Honnold is still alive. So he's not, I'm not going to watch him die right now. I don't, I, if, if, if anybody, if you knew that, you probably wouldn't go see the movie. Uh, it wouldn't be an incredible story about a rock climber who tries a free solo and then dies. But my point being is that, that I knew what was going to happen. But the disciples at, at this place in, in time, they don't know what's going to happen. 
So they don't quite understand and they can't discern between the darkness and the light. Because one of their brothers, one of their fellow sheep with the, with the great shepherd there is about to leave and go start the Passion of Christ where we know he's betrayed, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's on trial. He goes to the cross and is crucified. And three days later, he rises from the grave. We know this, but they didn't. And so the question for you is, is are you still uncertain? Are you still unsure about the darkness and the light? The testimony of Scripture tells you that the light has overcome the darkness. Or maybe you, you feel like you're close to the light. Judas was close to Jesus. He'd been sent out by Jesus. But he wasn't convinced about who Christ is and who Christ was to him. Are you close to Jesus? You come to church. You go to Bible study. You profess his name. But yet you're walking in the darkness. And you can't yet discern between the darkness and the light. If that's not clear, let's take a look at Christ's traitor. We know it's Judas. But Judas was one of Jesus' own disciples. And yet he was overcome by complete darkness. Judas is called out by Christ's words in verse 26 or verse 21. I wonder if Judas was sitting around the meal enjoying the, the feast. And Jesus says these things and he perks up. Does he look at Christ and wonder, now's the time? Does he look down, ashamed of his actions and knowing what he's gonna, about to do? Obviously, John doesn't give us those details, but I think in those words, Jesus is telling Judas, it's time, my hour has come, and you are going to go. If that's not clear, Jesus exposes Judas with his actions. He says in verse 26, So that disciple, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So not only does Christ pronounce his judgment on Judas, but he also gives him this morsel of bread as a, as a way to identify his betrayer. And then verse 27 tells us that Judas is possessed by Satan. This, this reminds us of Jesus' words in John 6 when he says that, that I know those whom I have called, and yet one of, you, one of you is a devil. Judas knew then, and now he has to face the consequences of his decision. Judas will stumble in the darkness. That's why John ends this passage with those words, and it was night. The narrative of the story is brilliant in showing the way that Judas is headed. He leaves just a few words at the end, but they're packed with imagery of this grand battle between darkness and light. On the grand scale, Jesus, who is the light, will overcome the darkness. And for that reason, before the Son of Man will be glorified, he knows that he must send away one of his disciples that is walking in the darkness. This reminds us of a betrayal of a king before that we've read about before in the Bible. King David, 
His throne was being challenged by his son Absalom. And Absalom was able to convince one of David's chief counselors, Ahithophel, to come to the darkness. Ahithophel, in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 17, we read this story where Ahithophel, a counselor of the king, where his words were considered to be the very words of God. And he becomes convinced that Absalom is the next king of Israel. So Ahithophel joins sides with him. But then his advice isn't taken. And Ahithophel, ashamed of himself, he goes home and he prepares uh, his, his home and, his, and his, uh, uh, his belongings. And then he goes and he, and he kills himself. We know that Judas and Ahithophel have a lot of similarities. Ahithophel betrayed the king of Israel but Judas would betray the eternal king of kings. The person of Judas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, it tells us this morning that we ought not be so quick to judge others as well as we need to examine our own hearts. Now, now listen, listen closely. Listen closely. I'm not saying that anybody here is Judas. Don't take that home. Don't dwell on that. But I do think that Judas illuminates some very insightful things in our lives where we can be drawn away by the darkness. What I am saying is that we are all sheep and the sheep need a shepherd. And sometimes sheep, they go astray. They think that they have better ways They think that they know better things. They think that they have figured it out. And I want you to think about what you might be led astray by this morning. In what ways are you being tempted to disobey God's law? How have you at times maybe perhaps betrayed Christ? Not in the same way as Judas, but walked contrary to the light. The person of Judas should give us pause and remind us of the greatness that it is to be one of God's elect, to be called a son or a daughter of the great king. And then third, in in Christ's spirit, we see that Jesus, he was troubled in spirit, but as the light of the world, he was committed to carry out the work that was set before him knowing that he would have to look Satan in the eye. The passage begins by saying that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This is another theme that is kind of carried out through the book of John. He's overcome with it with a really terrible stomach ache, put very lightly. He's in anguish. He knows that his close friend is about to leave. In fact, he's going to send him away. He's overcome with deep human emotions repeatedly on his way to the cross. And he's deeply moved at the death of his close friend, Lazarus, if you remember. He is troubled knowing that his hour has come. And in just a few words, in a few minutes, he's going to charge his disciples by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
The anguish of Jesus reminds us of the words of the psalmist. Psalm 41.9 Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Or again in Psalm 55, My heart is in anguish within me. The the tears of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, because I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, because then I could hide from them. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked. Jesus is sending away a close friend, knowing that what this close friend is going to do is going to, is going to cause him deep pain, deep deep emotional pain, deep physical pain, deep spiritual pain. But he knew that it was necessary. Can you guys, can you sense the anguish in Christ's heart? Knowing that, that, that a close friend, somebody that is sitting within reach of him is going to get up and, and go betray him. In this passage also we see that Jesus' words and his actions, they proclaim his divine authority in the situation. I think somebody would want to say, well, Judas tricked Jesus. But that's not the case. Jesus is not, he's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He's not thinking like, well, maybe somebody might do it. No, he sent Judas away. Reminds us of his words earlier when he says, no one takes it from me, speaking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And that's why when Jesus, after giving the morsel of bread to Judas, he tells him, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. Jesus knew that he had work to do on your behalf, but he wanted it to be over. He wanted to accomplish your salvation. Jesus' hour had come that he would be glorified, and yet he knows that Judas was to be sent away into the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And Judas didn't believe that. This morning, do you believe that? Because if you don't, you are still living in the darkness. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This theme of darkness and light is something that's repeated throughout John, chapter 3, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 12, and right here we get to see the start of that battle. But we know, we have the spoiler alert. We know the ending. The betrayal of Judas exhorts us to turn to the light and to flee from the darkness. The commitment of Jesus reminds us that in him there is forgiveness of sin. 
we know and we can read the rest of the story. And the challenge for you is if you are in the light, to cling all the more closely to the light. But if you were in the darkness, you were like Judas and you're stumbling in the darkness. And judgment is on your head. The words of Scripture in this passage, though they're focused on a dark scene, I think in many ways is a passage that is, that is about the light. The prophecy of betrayal and the sending out of Judas is like the sunrise after a long and dark night. Makes me think about sleepless nights with kids and babies and diapers. And, and uh, I don't do it as much because we don't, uh, we, I don't have to, to feed the, uh, the new baby a bottle. But I know that when sunrise comes and a new day begins, that there is, uh, there is, there is hope. There is encouragement. And in this passage, Jesus, he comes face to face with the enemy. And yet he's not dismayed. And he tells us, and he told his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So in conclusion, this passage, it, it challenges us to think about our relationship to the light. We've seen the commitment of Christ to love his disciples to the end, over against the treachery of Judas who had given himself over to Satan. And despite Jesus being troubled in his spirit, he knows that the scripture will be fulfilled and that Judas, one of his own disciples who he had shared an intimate meal, shared a, a bread of fellowship with, is going to be sent away. It's a prophecy of Christ's betrayal that will soon take place. And it's a close-up picture of the great battle between God and Satan. And Judas looks Jesus in the eyes and he says, I will win. But the characters of the story, they challenge us and they teach us. The disciples weren't able to yet discern what was true light and what was true darkness. Judas, though having spent much time with Jesus, was convinced that he was not the light. And Jesus, as the light of the world, he was resolved, he was committed to fulfill the work that he came to do on your behalf, on my behalf. And so this morning, may you hear the, the words of your Savior. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Brothers and sisters, this passage offers hope to us that we would not remain in the darkness, but that we might believe and cling to the light and look to the light, for the true light has come into the world and has overcome that darkness. The betrayal of Jesus that will soon take place, though sad in the time, means that Christ was willing to go to the cross on your behalf to pay for the punishment of your sin, but on the third day He rose from the dead, proving to His disciples, proving to us and proclaiming God's Word that He is the light of the world. If you don't believe in the light, this morning, this time, is the time to turn from the darkness and to the light.
And if you do believe in the light, this time is a time to, to be thankful, to be, to, be, to be happy, to have hope in knowing that we no longer walk in darkness. And that when we are in times of darkness, in times of trial, in times of struggle, that we can look to the light and know that He is in control and that He has already told us and He has already accomplished work on our behalf. And that work of salvation is applied to us through the Spirit and is testified to us through the Word. And so let us consider our relationship to the light this day and know that the true light has overcome the darkness. Let's pray.